With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Exit Podcast, I'm John Miller, along with Steve Dace. Going to talk a little realignment, a topic that Steve and I have spent a ton of time talking about over the past decade, certainly a lot back in 2008, 2009, 2010, when this was front burner edition stuff. But we're going to bring it home a little closer to home right now relative to some of the discussions that we observed that took place at the Big Ten Media Days in Chicago a couple of weeks ago. I remember seeing a tweet uh, from Scott Dockerman of The Athletic and then later reading an item that he wrote about uh, about the topic. I think it was P.J. Fleck of, of Minnesota that basically said something along the lines that Big Ten realignment within the conference, not adding teams, but realigning the divisions was likely going to happen, um, wasn't a matter of, you know, if it's going to happen, rather when it's going to happen. I went and wrote something um, relative to what I thought the, the most logical realignment uh, would be and, and shared that a few weeks ago. And now Steve has his Big Ten realignment plan that we're going to discuss. And before we dive into this, Steve, I've kind of, I, I operated under the premise that, Ohio State and Michigan, last we left them, which was 2013, so that's like six years ago, the last we left them, them not being in a division together was a non-starter because the notion of playing um, the game the last week of the football season and turning right around and having a rematch potentially in some years in the Big Ten champion, in the Big Ten championship game the following week could potentially devalue the game. Now the legends and leaders did have them in the different, in different divisions and we never had a, an Ohio State versus Michigan championship game there. But that's kind of the premise I was operating on and, and Michigan and Ohio State, I think the Big Ten, every team sits at the, you know, at the same table. But some seats are more comfortable than others, and some seats uh, maybe are closer to the meat than others. And Ohio State and Michigan are probably closer to the meat. So I kind of just went with they were going to get what they want. You are someone that follows Michigan closely, always has. You pay very close attention to the Big Ten. Do you think that this is a non-starter at the present time? It's it's not that I think it's a non-starter. Um, we're going to have realignment, I think. It's pretty obvious. Um, you have a, you have new blood coming in, and you can see the way Jim Delaney has changed his tune on kvetching about the playoff just in the last couple of months. Remember, we were doing podcasts asking where the hell was he at, you know, back in December and January, right. remember? And now he totally changed his tune in his last real Big Ten, you know, event at Media Days. And you got a new guy coming in from the NFL who understands scheduling parity, who understands uh, only a playoff system. So I, I think absolutely the league is going to change. It's not that I – so your question, and, I'm, and, I, and I know you love when I do this, I think it's, the, it's a flawed premise. 
Oh, great. It's been a while. Uh, it's been a while since you've had a flawed premise. I agree. Um, <laughs> you, you've gotten so much better. Your premises, your premises aren't nearly as flawed as they used to be at 6 o'clock in the morning. Right? <laughs> yeah, it was 10 years ago we've gotten older, and your premises That's have gotten right. stronger and wiser. Yeah. Right? But the, the reason why I think your premise is flawed isn't a matter of fact. In this case, it's a matter of opinion. Because I, I think the number one thing, and this will be the difference in the major difference in you and I's plans, the number one consideration is the playoff. I think it's okay. the number. I think it's the number two consideration, and I, I think it's the number three consideration. It's location, location, location. We are in an era now that the playoff has changed everything. We're going to enter into an era where we'll never be college basketball because there's not as many games. Rivalries are are too ingrained, um, and so it's, it's never going to be a, a, a demeaned regular season like college basketball is where it's watered down. And the Big Ten is trying to do something about that with a 20-game regular season schedule, and the ACC is going to that here soon, uh, this season as well. So that's never going to happen, but it's going to be more like the NFL, where the playoff is what is really all of it, it, all is playoff and playoff is all. And with the and and my number one premise before I started asking if, if I were working in the Big Ten offices, I wouldn't even ask myself where do we get competitive divisions? What do we do with the Michigan Ohio State rivalry? Um, my number one consideration is 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 this: how do we enhance our positioning for the playoff? And I would make everything else answer to that. The playoff is going to expand. Um, it may or may, it may not. We may not see an 18 field until this deal expires in 2023. With you know all of the bowl game conferences and everything else, maybe I I don't necessarily buy that. But at a at a maximum, the last you know we're going to have an 18 playoff in the 2024 season. All right, that's or is it 26 season? 2026 season. That's the last year of of or that's the year after all of these current bowl contracts expire. That's the absolute latest we're going to have an 18 playoff. Absolute latest. And you can see with the scheduling that the SEC is doing, Alabama has, hasn't had a home and home, uh, hasn't had an away game in the non-conference since 2011. Florida hasn't had an away game in the nine, in the non-conference since 1990. Okay. I mean, where they go on, where they go to another team's campus and play a road non, non-conference game there. That's what I mean. Okay. Well, you can see the way the SEC is scheduling now. Alabama scheduled Texas. They've scheduled, um, I know they've scheduled Texas, Notre Dame and Wisconsin in the next, in the next round. <clears throat> Pardon me. And that's all the reaction to what's going to happen is this is going to be an 18 playoff. And, and the way they're going to work it is the five power five conferences will get the champions will get automatic bids. The other three bids will be determined by this committee. And, you know, a group of five team will get a minimum ranking. It has to be in the top ten maybe. Uh, Notre Dame will have a minimum ranking that it has to have to get an automatic qualification. And barring that, then this committee is going to determine the other three bids. And in many respects, they're going to determine whether the group of five or Notre Dame gets in because they're going to continue doing these rankings that are going right. to rank where these teams are at. But but strength of schedule is going to be now that now that we're going to have every year that a two-loss team is going to get in and maybe even a three-loss team now. You know, go back to 2007 or 2016, I think it was. USC started one and three, put Sam Darnold in the lineup, didn't lose another game, and beat Penn State in the Rose Bowl. 
Does anybody, you know, could you absolutely make an argument that was one of the eight best teams in college football? Sure you could. Remember, they were Washington's only loss that year when Washington went to the playoff. So we're going to have a system now where two loss teams are going to get in the playoff every year. And and now you're going to have a system where maybe in some years a three-loss team is going to. So so how do we delineate these teams? <clears throat> you're going to do it through strength of schedule. And that's why the league needs to put itself in the best possible position of enhancing its strength of schedule. And that's where my playoff proposal begins and ends. What, what in my view, does the best job of positioning the conference from a college football playoff perspective? Okay. Um, and I think that's a, that is a solid premise relative to what the Big Ten um, has dealt with the last couple of years of being left out of the show. And I, I think that you're right. I think because of that reality, the focus being all about the playoff is the focus. It's not going to be about competitive balance and reseeding, if you will, the divisions based upon competitive balance. It's going to be about getting a team, at least one, into the playoff. Um, let's, let's read some of your points. Or, or your, you know, factors relative to your realignment plan. Divisions are eliminated. That's my in first your point. Plan. Yeah, eliminate yeah. the divisions. I want to just put the two best teams I can put in the championship. And and even if even if Jim Harbaugh stays at Michigan another ten years and recruits the way that he already has, and even if Ryan Day is great at Ohio State. This league is so deep now, the idea that Michigan and Ohio State are just going to play every year the next week is not true. And, and I'll point that out when we get to the end of this. Will it happen a few times over the course of 10 years? Maybe two or three times at the most. No way it's happening five or six times. League is too deep now. League is too good now. It's not going to happen. Okay? And, and so I would, I would borrow a page out of a, you know, former University of Iowa athletic director, Bob Bowlesby, now the commissioner of the Big 12. And what I would do is we're just going to eliminate divisions and we're going to have the best two teams play for the championship at the end of the year. All right. And tiebreakers settled first by head to head, if it's possible, then by current placement in the college football playoff rankings. If necessary, and if for some reason a third tiebreaker is needed beyond that, then winning percentage of the current season's opponents, which is based upon strength of schedule, not counting FCS games will be used. I think that's fair. I don't even think you need to get down to the third tiebreak. Um, the league will revert back to an eight-game schedule. And I think that, yes, I would agree with that. If, if the SEC is staunchly going to stay at eight games, and I've read or seen nothing, that makes me think they're going to move higher to nine and move off of eight. I think they're going to stay at eight. Then I think the Big Ten should also go to eight. The main reason that the SEC is not going to move off of eight is because the the FCS game that they all play, usually one team has a game, a real game, that's second to last week. Sometimes it's Auburn and Georgia, the oldest rivalry in the South. But somebody, usually one team plays a real game, and everybody else plays an FCS game. The reason they do that is the same reason the Big 12 a couple of years ago started backlogging, backloading its its biggest games on its schedule. Because what's the point of of getting of, of knocking your teams out of the playoff race in September and October before we even have playoff rankings? So we're going to backload the schedule, 
And then right before we go to Rivalry Weekend, everybody gets what amounts to a glorified bye week. So everybody goes into Rivalry Weekend the best possible health that they can be at that stage of a grueling football season. Everybody's records are the best they could possibly be. And now these games are showcases at a time that the committee is engaged and watching. I think that's brilliant. I think we ought to borrow that exact same process. And then there's another aspect of that too, which is we, we can help ourselves more if we let Indiana, Maryland, um, those teams that are, you know, right around five and seven, six and six every year. If we let them schedule a fourth non-win in the non-conference, because now we're, now we're talking resumes. Well, we played, we played a 12 game schedule and 10 of our teams are going to, are, are bowl eligible. Only nine of yours are. Those sorts of data points now, when we're going to be in a, in a future era where that's how we're going to delineate who the eighth or, or ninth best team in the college football playoff is, are going to matter. So not only does it, does it take some of the, uh, you know, right now, the last, right now, as I went through and game planned out my Big Ten preview, I really struggled to come up with te- a way a team would get out of the Big Ten without two losses. So, you, the way you do that is you, you alleviate, you, you know, Ohio State doesn't have to risk that, that face plan against Purdue or Iowa because those, that's a cross divisional game that you know, may not even be played now. Um, and then the, and then what you do is you take the third, your, not your, your, your lower tiered teams and you give them a chance to raise their profiles by scheduling bowl eligibility because that only helps to raise your league's profile at the exact same time. Okay. Makes sense. Um, each season's conference schedule will be announced the first Saturday in May in the Big Ten Network in a live telecast event. Similar to what the NFL does on the NFL Network each spring. We're going to come right back to that, but let me read the second one. Teams will each be given two protected rivalries, which we'll discuss in a second, and the other six games will be home and homes with the rest of the conference is determined by the scheduling lottery. So you're basically saying that each year, your your six games that are not among your two your protected rivalries, it's going to be different different opponents each year. Three three at home, three in the road, and if you get Ohio State at home this year, it doesn't mean you're going to go back and play them at Ohio State the next year. It's going to be a lottery every single year. Well, that, I misworded that. This would rotate every two years, obviously, for the okay. home and home. Okay. Okay. So, right. so it would be a, it would be a strict home and home. The other thing I should also mention is in the scheduling lottery, there will be two um, two uh, prime directives for the for you'll get a scheduling computer like what the NFL does, and you'll have two prime directives. The first prime directive is every team has to have four games at home and four games away in the conference including your protected rivalries and finishing up the the second year of a of a home and home if that's the case every other season okay mm-hmm. and then the other one will be once those once those conditions are satisfied then the schedule then you'll have the computer slot the scheduling based off of um your based off of uh, strength of schedule for you and your opponents. So if there's a way to give Indiana and Illinois a chance to play each other on a regular basis, for example, you do that. Okay. So that, it, so, but that's your second, that's your second criteria. Your first criteria is got to make sure you've got a home and home for four, four teams each, or there's four games each on the road and at home. Once that is satisfied and the protected rivalries are done, then, and, and that's probably going to mean maybe one game. At one game at the most 
for a few of the bottom feeder teams. If you're Michigan or Ohio State, it won't make a difference to you. If you're Indiana or Illinois or Maryland or Rutgers, could make a that 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 could make a big difference to you. If you're Iowa, Michigan State, Wisconsin, really good programs in that next tier, that can make a big difference to you in terms of this might be the difference between whether we are five and three in this league or six and two or seven and one. Okay, and so that's another way that you bring some parity, competitive balance into the scheduling process. But but that is factored in by the computer after the home and home requirements are are satisfied. Okay, Um, let's go to protected rivalries, Illinois, Northwestern and Rutgers. Why Rutgers? Just a competitive balance aspect. Yes. Yep. That's why. Do we reexamine these rivalries after a certain period of time? Probably. Yeah, I don't see why you couldn't if you wanted to. Sure. Indiana, Michigan State, and Purdue. Iowa, Minnesota, and Nebraska. And I think that that's, I mean, I would probably prefer it to be Wisconsin and Nebraska. Some would prefer it to be Wisconsin and Minnesota. Um, but I, I think that that balances things out pretty well. Um, if, if you're protecting Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, I mean, that's, it's kind of challenging every year. Maryland, uh, has Penn State and Rutgers. Michigan has Michigan State and Ohio State. Michigan State, Indiana and Michigan. Minnesota, Iowa and Wisconsin. Nebraska, Iowa and Wisconsin. Northwestern, Illinois and Purdue. Ohio State has Michigan and Penn State. Penn State has Maryland. And Ohio State, Purdue, Indiana, and Northwestern, Rutgers, Illinois, and Maryland, and Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Nebraska. I mean, I think that's pretty good. I mean, if you're going to go this route with two protected rivals, I think that's pretty good. I was looking at Nebraska, seeing if they, they probably would want Iowa and Wisconsin. Um, and yeah. if I'm going to be a, if I'm going to be a conference that expands my footprint to the East Coast, then I'm I need to own that. I need to ha- I need to make Penn State and Maryland a thing every year. Okay, and I need to give Rutgers more of an East East Coast centric identity. Teams they're used to having when they were good in the past, like under Greg Schiano, teams that they in the past were competitive with and able to to line up with and or beat like a Maryland. So I'm looking for that as well. And and then I'm and and then you have some teams that just don't have a natural second rival. Indiana doesn't have a natural second rival. Okay, so that's why you you know they're plugged in there with Michigan State. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and Michigan State then probably doesn't have a natural second rival either, really. Not really. I think Michigan State and Indiana actually play for some kind of trophy. I don't know what it is. I don't, you know, I don't remember what it is. But you know, uh, they they you know when when Penn State first came to the league, the league wanted Michigan State and Penn State to be a thing. You know, that used to be the second game that weekend after Michigan Ohio State for the longest time, and they just never quite took off. So I think you're better off giving, making Penn State your East Coast program. You put them against Maryland, um, you know, in a clear geographic rivalry, and they, they used to be rivals in the, for the old Meadowlands, Lambert, whatever that thing, trophy, when they were Eastern Independents back in the day. They used to be competitors for that. And then you put them against Ohio State, and that way you have all of your top three national programs in the, in the Eastern time zone are all – there's a game with all three of them versus one another every year. Okay. Now, using this format that you laid out, 
this is how the conference standings would have looked in recent years. In 2018, you would have had Ohio State and Michigan finishing first and second, followed by Northwestern, Penn State, and then Michigan State. So there's one year where we would have Ohio State against Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, 2017, Wisconsin and Ohio State would be first and second in that order, followed by Michigan State, Penn State, and Northwestern. Um, 2016, Penn State against Ohio State, followed by Michigan, Wisconsin, and Iowa. And in 2015, it would have been Iowa against Michigan State, as it was, followed by Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Michigan. And then going down to 2014, Ohio State against Michigan State, followed by Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Nebraska. And you're basically, you have Ohio State every time, which they've been a fantastic program, and they deserve it. There's no rematches of of title games in any of these five years. Every single title game is different. Obviously, Ohio State is there. Well, no, Ohio State, um, well, yeah, they were all different. No. Ohio yeah, State I, wasn't there in 2015 either. So Michigan three State Three of the makes five. Two. I think it, I think it's three of the five. Is it three? Yeah. Michigan State and Iowa are the same. Ohio State and Wisconsin are the same in 2017. You're talking about, you're talking about the same as what actually played what out. What actually happened. Yes. I'm sorry. You're okay, thinking of, I, I, oh, you're thinking of season I, rematches. My bad. Okay. Yes. No, no, no. I mean, I, I didn't, I, I clearly did not do a good job of <laughs> saying what I meant. I'm saying that none of these years, there wasn't like Ohio State, Michigan every year, or there weren't three instances of Ohio State versus Michigan State. Every right. single one of these years would have produced a non-repetitive title game relative to title games that had come before it, you know, in 20, using this data and applying it. it was Ohio State, Michigan, Iowa, Michigan State, Penn State, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Ohio State, Ohio State, Michigan. So they were all, we didn't have any repeats. We didn't have like three years in a row where it was Ohio State, Michigan or Ohio State, Penn State. You know what I mean? Yes. Now, a lot of this era, the Michigan program was was still down. And we're, and we're just now into the point that, you know, Harbaugh has fully stocked the, the, the cupboard, but the league is better now. I mean, you've got Purdue landing top 25 classes, Minnesota doing it. You've got Scott Frost in Nebraska. Um, you know, the, the league is a lot better now. I mean, you know, Penn State is a perennial top 10 or, or 12 recruiter. So it's kind of relative. So Michigan's a lot better now, but the rest of the league is a lot better now. That's why I said at the, at the start of this, I really don't think if we go with no divisions, you're going to sit here in the next 10 years and, and six times have a Michigan-Ohio State rematch. It might happen two or three times, but it ain't, it, it, but you know, that's a maybe. Maybe, maybe it will, maybe you'll at worst get 80% or 70% new matchups. This will not be a perennial thing with those two schools. It just won't. The league's too good now. It is too good. And when you go back and look at the protected, um, matchups, Michigan's are Michigan State and Ohio State and Ohio State's are Michigan and Penn State. So, you know, the two teams that, you know, recruit the best talent year in, year out, they have the toughest relative to his history, um, the toughest protected robberies. They, they have two of the toughest games on their schedule every year among 
all other teams in the league. So I think that also helps to balance it out. Maybe Ohio State dances through the raindrops one year. Maybe Michigan's the next. So, and considering that Michigan and Ohio State have to play one another every year, I think that's something that maybe gets lost on me and potentially others is that the fact that the game is still going to be played really makes it very, very difficult for there to be a rematch in the championship game between those two teams. Correct. You know, last year, and and by the way, last year, think of how dominant Michigan was all Big Ten season. You know, we would update those stats of yard per play differential and and, Mm -hmm. in Big Ten play, and Michigan was a full yard per play better than any team in the conference all year long until that very last game when they got, got, you know, uh, poleaxed. Well, only because of a scheduling quirk where Northwestern was Michigan's one of their cross non cross divisional games, and so Michigan played Northwestern and beat them at the in, in a close game to get the tiebreaker. If they had not played that game, um, and Northwestern had played, I don't know, Rutgers instead. Well, they did play Rutgers last year, but played somebody else and won that game. We wouldn't even gotten it last year. So it was only by virtue of Michigan playing Northwestern head-to-head and beating them that you even got this. So think about this. Last year, Michigan, Ohio State went in as the prohibitive favorite and then, you know, struggled more than people thought, particularly defensively, and, and lost that game at Purdue. From that point on, Michigan was considered the clear best team in the Big Ten, and they spent the last three weeks of the regular season in the top four of the college football playoff ratings. So from the beginning of the season to the end, everyone agreed at some point Ohio State or Michigan was clearly better than everybody else in the league. And yet only by a second tiebreaker of those teams having, uh, having, or only by a tiebreaker of Northwestern and Michigan in an odd scheduling quirk playing each other did we even get the rematch last year, John. All right, so we're not going to get a lot of these rematches. Uh, listen, I'm a Michigan fan. I'd love to say, oh, yeah, we're just going to turn on. I'm, I'm just telling you, it's not going to happen. You might get it two or three times at the max, at the max. Now, if if we go into an era where the rest of for these decade. programs decide per, per decade, yeah, at the yeah. max. Now, if we go in, if we go into an era where the rest of these teams just stop taking football seriously like they did in the 70s and 80s, well, then it might happen a lot more. I just don't think you're going to see that now with the amount of money that the league has, the facilities that are being built comprehensively across the league. I do not think you're going to see that. And there's another factor, too. If you're saying, well, Michigan State gets a break with their second protected rivalry is Indiana, and Penn State gets a break because their other one is Maryland. Now, on the Penn State case, I think it will help the Maryland program a lot to develop a real identity and Eastern rivalry with Penn State. I think that'll help them in their recruiting and building their program. It's Bill McCartney going to Colorado and turning Nebraska into a rival, right? It's it's it, it. We've seen this before that you can build an identity off of who you're who you'd like your rival to be to get them to recognize you. But there's another factor in here too, because Michigan State and Penn State, amongst teams that are traditionally good, have what would be perceived to be the weakest. Second protected rivalry. Well, when we go into that scheduling matrix and that second factor comes in that says, hey, um, you know, once we've satisfied the home and home requirements, then we're going to look at, you know, your strength of your, you know, we're going to do your strength of schedule. Those teams are probably going to have, they're going to probably play each other, for example, most years. For example, you know, they're going to end up on each other's schedules. Wisconsin's going to end up on Penn State's schedule or Iowa. You see what I'm trying to say? Because there will be a com- there'll be a compensation for that 
for the fact mm-hmm. that their 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 inherent strength of schedule on a on a on a on a on a perennial basis is dragged down a little bit because of who their second protected rivalry is. So the computer will compensate for that, and they're they're often probably going to be the, one of those few teams that will get a, a bump up in in in, in terms of uh, strength of schedule and who they have to play because of who that team is. So if Michigan State, let's just say Michigan State and Penn State get scheduled to play each other in a home and home as part of this six years in a row, so three times each side. Does it make a difference to you as a fan of another Big Ten team? If Michigan State and Penn State are playing every year home and home, whether they're a protected rivalry or not, does that make a difference to you? No. You see, what, So it's this, it's six and one, half dozen of the other. You, you, you do that as well. Now, it's tough to make a schedule when you have 14 teams. That's why I have two protected rivalries, eight games. When you do the math, this formula actually works out. I'm impressed, and I don't like to just roll over, but I think this makes as much sense as anything I've seen. Scott Dockerman had a really good, you know, setup as well, where he had each team had three protected rivals, but I think that he also had the nine-game schedule, um, if memory serves, and if if not, I apologize. But you, you know, you laying out why going to eight is the way to go, which I agree. Uh, you laying this out relative to some potential. You know, reseeding, if you will, relative to how your team and your program is faring. And if you're not doing so great, you probably have an easier out with one of those matchups relative to computer science. I really like it. Frankly, I'd probably, I might even sign up for this. And I'm very much a traditionalist. And even though obviously the Big Ten has added teams and it's not the 80s anymore, um, the, I like the notion of divisions, but I like the notion of this a lot. I really well, like this a lot. Well, since we're doing this on the Hawkeye Nation podcast, let me let me address this specifically to Iowa fans. If if we were still if 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 we were even two or three years ago, where the East is dramatically better than the West, this would be a raw deal for you, because the you're still in a position where most years if you go six and two. You're going to be in the Big Ten championship game in that division. Some mm-hmm. years, hell, maybe if you go five and three, you might. And then you're kind of in a one and one and done scenario against uh, the other team. Now this this hasn't happened since we went east west, but when we had legends and leaders, there was a year in Wisconsin went into that game like seven and five against Nebraska. Do you remember that? Yeah. And and beat them in a one and done. Okay. But we're getting into beat an them era. Yeah. But we're, but we're getting into an era now, and I'd like to get your take on this as, as the Iowa fan on the podcast. We're getting into an era now where it's always going to be tougher to go on a road trip to State College, Ann Arbor, and Columbus than anywhere else because traditionally there's a reason those are three of the five or six winningest programs of all time. All right? That notwithstanding, though, we're going into an era now where a road trip to, to East Lansing – isn't really that much. It, first of all, a, a road trip to Madison's probably tougher, um, but it's not going to be that much more different than a road trip to a lot to Northwestern, who kind of owns Michigan State actually, as well as Iowa. So my point is, the other division now has built itself up enough in terms of its facilities, in terms of the coaches that are hired there, that this is now the time to make a move like this, because once you do make a move like this. And, and even if we did get into the, the, the competitive balance will now still be there. 
you're going to you're going to probably have to go 6 and 2 minimum to have any shot to get to the Big 10 championship game mm-hmm. minimum minimum and 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 now that we're going if we go to this now it's almost like you're pot committed at that point. It's like you landed on the beach and then burnt the boats. So athletic directors at places like Purdue, which even in 2017 didn't have an x-ray machine when Wilton Spate got, a, got knocked out of the game. And so they had to, you know, canvas him to a hospital through their tailgate rally like it was 1983. Um, mm-hmm. Schools like Purdue – those kinds of places, they won't e- they won't be able to go back now. They won't be able to become, you know, uh, money hoarders and not take football seriously and invest in competitiveness, because if they don't, they're not going to go like six and six, five and seven in this format. They're going to go like two and ten, and even their fans are going to lose their poop. So now that the West, the West one was never going to catch up to the East because you have those three dynamic powers there, but now that its competitive balance has caught up to the East. Now I think is the time to do this because and, – and now that everybody has shown Northwestern's built maybe the greatest facility in the country, Minnesota might have the best pure athletic dorm in the country regardless of sport. So now that we've got these traditional teams that have, in terms of resources have been, um, you know, have been bottom feeders are now building state of the art facilities. Now's the time with the, with the West having caught up in terms of total competitive balance. In my view, now's the time for us to go back to the identity of one league again. Yeah, I, I think it, it sounds really good. I mean, I was just going back and looking at the, um, the Big Ten championship games since they went to the East and West and, you know, the oldest one or the, the most recent one, I guess 2013, um, it was 8-0 Ohio State, 8-0 Michigan State. Then you had, um, 8-0 Ohio State and 7-1 Wisconsin. Then you had 7-1 Michigan State versus 8-0 Iowa. Uh, and then they changed to the nine games and you had eight and one Penn State against seven and two Wisconsin. Seven and two is the worst record. You had eight and one Ohio State against nine and oh Wisconsin. Um, yeah. So I, I agree. I, I do agree because I think as you have East and West right now with what's going on in the West, the quality of programs are rising in the West, but the parity you know, and I think we're going to see that play out this year. The, the parity is stronger than maybe, than certainly it's ever been in the West. I mean, you, you have six legitimately, you could make a case with a straight face for six of the seven teams to win that division. You might really have to squint and look past some warts on Purdue relative to offensive line. What's their defense going to look like? But that offense is really good. Everyone else, you have to squint a little bit less. So the winner of the Big Ten West this year very well could be a six and three team on a tiebreaker and have the worst record representing um, a divisional team uh, in this era of Big Ten football. But that doesn't mean it's a bad team. It just means it's balanced and it's good. And I think you incorporating the West, incorporating one division, I like it. I I do it right now. So that's pretty good stuff. Um, yeah, well done. What's the main okay. objection you think we're going to hear from people after they listen to this podcast? That's a good question. Um, maybe there's some things that folks may think aren't fair for their team. You know, Iowa fans listening to this may think that it makes it even harder 
again, I don't know that it does because as I just mentioned, the West is rising. You're probably going to get a big dose of that in 2020 Iowa football season, maybe not as much in the 2019, but probably in 2019. But next year when I was breaking in a new quarterback and probably news is Epinesa and Worfs and Alaric Jackson, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. You're going to be in that, you're going to be in a seven team division and a lot of people are probably picking you for fifth. So it's going to be tough to win the division, much less qualify as one of the top two. So I, I don't know. That's a really good question. Anticipating the, uh, the objections from people. I just don't know that I see one. And if your objection is, well, it's going to make it harder to get to the Big Ten championship game. I'm sorry, man. Lace them up a little bit tighter. It's, this is competition. There's another factor to this for Iowa to consider too. What if Iowa State goes back to being Iowa State? Matt Campbell leaves. Jamie Pollard says, see, on the flip side, it was a nice run. And Iowa State goes back to being a bottom feeder. Well, now that you have four non-conference games, you don't, if you, you don't have to necessarily be Wisconsin and go out and schedule Alabama home and home. But if, if you want to schedule a North Carolina out of the ACC instead of Clemson, if you want to schedule, um, you know, uh, uh, an Arizona State out of the Pac-12 instead of a uh, Washington, if you want to schedule a, a Missouri border rivalry there, a Missouri out of the SEC instead of an Alabama, you've got a little bit more breathing room now because um, you've got, A, you can still schedule two very winnable non-conference games there. And then, B, if, if indeed Iowa State no longer uh, it, it, or Iowa State is not able to sustain its current trajectory like it has right now under Matt Campbell, you don't have them dragging down the rest of your non-conference schedule, though, either. Something else to consider. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, as I say, even when they were a bottom feeder, they certainly weren't an easy out, but you're right. That that was always my contention about my um, oh, ambivalence relative to the rivalry continuing was that Iowa had far more to lose than it did to gain by playing Iowa State. At least in this present day, we think, you know, Iowa State winning eight games in back-to-back seasons. Um, they'll be favored by many people this year for that game because of the, the team that they've assembled. You win that game against a team that's, that's ranked. That's, that's worth something. That's, that's meaningful more than just water cooler talk. And that's kind of what I wanted the game to be was more than just water cooler talk to where it's something that's meaningful relative to your strength of schedule and not if you lose it. It's a joke because no one in the country takes Iowa State seriously. That is changing. So you're right. If that were to happen in Iowa State, were if this was just to go back to one of those things, you have more to lose than gain by playing it. Um yeah, you probably need to beef things up and, and play an intersectional thing. But as, as it stands now, Iowa has no business, no business playing at one of those, you know, regional teams you talked about from a Power 5 league with Iowa State as strong as they are on their schedule. No business at all. And I, I, I did see that Wisconsin had scheduled uh, the home-and-home home or whatever. Was it a home-and-home home or was it uh, – Independent site and independent neutral site and neutral site no, with Wisconsin. It's, it's campus v campus. Yes. Okay. I think that was easy for Nick Saban to okay that because he'll never be the coach in that game. And who knows what Bama will be? That's another question. And maybe not for this particular podcast or this particular time. 
But it's not like Alabama, after the bear, didn't have some struggles. You know, Gene Stallings had them up, but they went on probation. I mean, Alabama, before Saban got there, was, I mean, maybe not as bad as what Tennessee is right now, but they certainly weren't Alabama. So who knows what happens after Saban? So one of the things we could end up with, too, is a situation, and this is where you're going to want to think of who you schedule in that fourth non-conference game. Because let's say we run into a situation like what happened in 1990, where we had four teams technically tie for the Big Ten title um, with six and two records, and Iowa yes. got the Rose Bowl berth by various um, you know, tiebreakers. So Iowa's 1990 non-conference schedule was uh, Cincinnati, Iowa State in the midst of, uh, you know, the, the, the 15 in a row, and at number 10, Miami. All right, that was Iowa's non-conference schedule. Illinois' non-conference schedule that year uh, was at Arizona in a game they lost, who was unranked. They played number nine, Colorado, who went on to win a share of the national championship. And um, um, Southern Illinois were their non-conference opponents that year. Mm-hmm. So that's another you know team that played at least one outstanding opponent. Michigan State that year played at Syracuse, uh, who was good that season. They played number one Notre Dame and at Rutgers. So they played two really good non-conference mm-hmm. opponents. And Michigan that year opened up against number one Notre Dame, uh, played Maryland, uh, who was a non-conference opponent in those days, obviously, and played UCLA, who wasn't that good that season. I think actually would only go five and six that season. So this is where <clears throat> if we look at if you know if Iowa State stays good in that kind of a scenario, then Iowa, by virtue of having played Miami and Iowa State in the non-conference, you'd get a boost in, in that strength of schedule mm-hmm. tiebreaker. Yeah. Um, but if Iowa State doesn't stay good, then, you know, you better schedule that Miami game. Otherwise, your strength of schedule tiebreaker, you know, you're going to have to go 7-1 and one in the Big Ten, and that's not going to be mm-hmm. easy to do with all of these teams. Well, so right. in that tiebreaker process, probably Michigan State might might have ended up actually winning, getting the first tiebreaker because they played Notre Dame and Syracuse, both teams. Notre Dame was number one. Syracuse was a top 25 team. You know, they probably would have gotten the tiebreaker then. So, again, these are these scenarios that that we haven't had to think about the last few years with divisional play, which I think actually makes it fun, by the way. Okay? Agreed. Because uh, more teams feel like they've got a shot. Uh, these are things to now think about. And, and, and in a way, this kind of also marries what we used to love about the old system with the realities of, of what the playoff now brings to the table. Yeah, for sure it does. And also, um, you know, some coaches have to take some really, really hard looks at this. If you're in Iowa and you're a team that everything really probably has to fall for you to make it into the playoff, but well, then again, an expanded playoff, things will be maybe a little bit better. Kirk Ferentz have been in position uh, four, if not five times in his career, maybe three at least, that he would have been in position the last week of the season to be on the in that outside of the eighth lane. You've really got to examine these, these games that you're scheduling. You can't just, you know, lay it down and, um, you know, you just, you can't lay it down and just roll over weak teams. Now I'm guessing, and one maybe thing to clarify, the standings are going to be reflective of conference record, not overall record 
an overall record will come in as a tiebreaker, correct? Well, your overall strength of schedule, it comes in. Right, 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 right. Yes. Right. But, but if, if, yeah, if you played a week out of conference schedule and there's only two seven and one teams, you're in. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. Very good. I like it a lot. Um, that'll wrap up this installment of the HN podcast for Steve. I'm John. We'll talk to you soon.